Next up is going to be Ed, Edwin Decker. I used to just call him Ed, and then he became Edwin. I don't know. What, when did that happen? When I was born. <laughs> anyway, I sent out a, uh, an email on the, on, the, on the blog showing a history of when me and Ed used to read Java Joe's long ago, when we first got pissed off about the whole idea, you can only read for three to five minutes. We're like, man, we can't. This is just crazy. I want to talk to the people. I want to be a complete drunken idiot on stage. And so we started doing those shows together. This is when Ed first started writing for Slam, before it was a city beat. And he started writing sordid tales of a bartender in heat. It wasn't even just sordid tales. It was like completely over the top, which is like, why well, people are giving shit about his articles now. You should read the old ones. Those, <laughs> they, they, oh, God. Anyway. I never knew we were going to get shot doing a show or not. Maybe someone comes in and thinks, I'm Ed Decker. You're Ed Decker. I'm like, no, shoot that guy. No. <laughs> anyway, Ed was, uh, had a, played a big part in the press. I guess I'm supposed to start now. Here we go. And now Ed Decker presents a reenactment of Jesus Christ and his disciples at the last Tupperware party. Then Jesus did pass the Tupperware to his disciples and say, This is my product line. It will keep the blood of the everlasting covenant fresh for weeks. Jesus then showed them the deluxe set. He opened his arms wide and said, Perhaps I can interest you in the hamburger press and freezer set. The hamburger press and freezer set makes a great Christmas gift. And the disciples passed it around. And Paul said, write me down for a set, Jesus. And John said, me too. And Peter said, I'll take two. One for my Aunt Mimi and one for my brother. And Judas testified. But Jesus doth not Ziploc bags serve the same function, yet are much cheaper than Tupperware. And Jesus said, Yo, Judas, why are you always trying to fuck up my shit? Press, yo, we're in the house. 
Hallelujah. Amen. All right, so this one is called um, Hungover at the AA Meeting. And it's based on true events. I, uh, I, got, I got a DUI on my Vespa. <laughs> and the reason I got my DUI, by the way, I was working this particular night. I used to be a bartender. And uh, when I was leaving the bar, the doormen were standing outside the door, and I just kind of honked my little horn to say goodbye to them. And apparently I found out on this particular evening that honking your horn for any reason other than, you know, traffic reasons is against the law. You can't honk to say hi to someone. You can't honk in anger. You could only honk to say, yo, I'm cutting in or, you know, whatever. So you can't honk. I didn't know that. Did you know that? I didn't know that. So um, I got a DUI on my scooter. I'm really proud of that. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, when you get a DUI, they make you um, go to three AA meetings. And on the last one I had scheduled, the night before, I accidentally got drunk. And the meeting was at 6 in the morning. And this is mostly true. Hungover at the AA meeting. With red eyes and greasy hair, my head is pounding and I might need to vomit. A woman stands up. My name is Karen and I am an alcoholic, says Karen. The entire room shouts, hello, Karen. Would you please stop yelling, I say. They look at me. Sorry, sorry, my bad. Everyone takes turn, get turns giving a testimonial. Then it is my turn. Hi, my name is Ed, and well, I'm more of a casual drinker than an alcoholic, so I'm not going to say hi, I'm Ed, and I'm an alcoholic, if that's okay. Nobody said hi, Ed. No, no, really, I'm not an alcoholic. I just, you know, I'm kind of a social boozer. Total silence. Are you guys mad that I'm not saying I'm an alcoholic? No response. All right, well, if it's that important to you, hi, I'm Ed, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Ed! Would you please stop yelling? After that, it's time for the serenity prayer. They ask me to lead. God grant me the Bloody Mary I need to make this hangover go away, the celery to make it go down easier, and the horseradish. Stop! Says the moderator. You will mock us no more as they converge upon me, tearing me limb from limb. This is a one in a a four-part series called Women Who Have Kicked My Ass. And, uh, you know, because we're only doing 20 minutes tonight, I probably won't have time to read more than one or two. Um, but this is, uh, this is part one. It's called Women Who Have Kicked My Ass, part one, Janet. At the bus stop, age seven, Janet Habergdanny kicked my ass. She punched and scratched my face until blood dripped down my neck. The other boys laughed. I still haven't recovered. I'm 53 years old and still, when I see teenage girls walking down the street, I duck into an alley. Sometimes they glare at me with those don't make me kick your ass again eyes. (laughs) 
This one is called, This Poem Needs Sanding. This poem needs sanding. The sentences are jagged and protruding. The verbs have burrs and the nouns are coarse. This house needs watering. The foundation is dry and flaking. The walls are brown on the edges. Nothing can grow here anymore. This job needs to get laid. Maybe if this job would get laid, it wouldn't be such an asshole all the time. This country needs a drill sergeant. One of those bald, barking maniacs who will put his chin a few millimeters away from this country's chin and shout and spit in this country's face, you are fat and lazy, soldier, now drop and give me 50. This planet needs a condom. Not more and more babies to soil more and more diapers to fill more and more landfills. Hey, planet, wear a jimmy for Christ's sake. Anyway, as I said, this poem could use some sanding. Thanks. Hey, Ted, where are you at? Ted doesn't even stick around when I read. He's like, fuck that guy. <laughs> well, uh, uh, the book I have with Ted is called uh, Barzilla and Other Psalms. And if Ted were around, he would hold it up and show it to you. And he would, and he would talk about all the great art that's in there. <laughs> And, oh, look, Ted washing, everyone. Turn the light off. Remember, you told me to turn the light off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yes. Yeah, okay. Anyway. <laughs> this is a big part of why Food Press continued on, because when I made my book, we had a friend named Guy who lives in L.A., and he made me promise. He goes, you're going to make Ed Decker a book, right? I'm like, yo, and Guy's a big dude. He like, he's formidable, yeah. you're going to make Ed Decker a book. Guy. And he knows guns and everything? Yeah. Yes, guy. I will make Ed Decker a book. So I see Guy in L.A. I was doing an art show in L.A. And he walked, where's Ed Decker's book? This is, is this a true story. Yeah, I know. I go, uh, uh, don't worry, Guy. I'm going to make Ed Decker's book. <laughs> so I made Ed Decker a book. It's called Barzilla. I was forced to make this book. And I'm forever grateful, Ted. Talk about some of the art in there. Show some of the art because it really is. I, honestly, I, I mean this truly. I'm not being, like, falsely um, humble. The art blows away the poetry in this book. It is un-fucking-believable. Un and by the way, Ron Moy originally had the original cover because it was originally going to be called Man on the Side of the Road, which everyone was like, that's a stupid title. <laughs> so he, Ron, did, Ron did the art for that title, but we changed it because it's a stupid title, and we couldn't use his artwork. But that was a great piece of art, man. It was a guy on the side of the road with a... All this crazy shit happening. Like, oh, that was good. I never made it to the cover. But it was... Oh, well, anyway, yeah, Ted, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Thanks. So, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> he said it was going to be sloppy. Here you go. It had nothing to do with the artwork. It was the title. You know what the problem with that? I, I still, I kind of regret that title, though, because I'll tell you why. When people hear it or they look at it, they think that I'm Barzilla. They don't realize I'm making fun of Barzilla, that the Barzilla type in a bar, is, you know, wants free drinks and hits on girls, and he's just a stomping. Did you see that last column? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, get off the stage. It's my turn. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, the whole reason I mentioned that book is because this one, this poem is in that book. So there you go. There, we all come full circle. It's called The Pain, The Pain of You. The Pain of You. A leftover bowl of broccoli soup. A paperback novel called The Handmaid's Tale. A figurine of a ballerina. A photograph of our weekend in Baja. A coffee cup that says world's greatest sister. A wrench in my gut. A month-old note on the fridge that says, Babe, don't forget we have dinner with my parents on Friday. An unpaid parking ticket when she borrowed my car are all that's left of you, the residuals of you, the income tax of you, the litter box of you. Yesterday, I fished out the sludge from the shower drain just to get a lock of your hair. To this, I will hang on, the last remnant of the pain of you, however scuzzy. All right, so this one is brand spanking new. And when I mean brand spanking new, I mean never before read, never published. Um, it's also a foray into rhyming poetry, which I don't do well, and you will soon find out why. Um, but here we go. I'm unveiling it for the first time. It's called, are you ready? It's called God Hates Flags. God Hates Flags. Our leaders love to tell us when we are on attack, don't worry, be sappy, the Lord has got our back. And all the countries of the world believe their God is favoring. They think that he will, bring, that he will fight for them and bring the victory they are craving. The Christians have a flag as well, it flies above the Vatican. If you're not saved, you go to hell, oh Christ, please no, not that again. And Islam's banner did unfurl when ISIS took out Headbow. It's enough to make you churl. It can get into your head, yo. Because it makes no difference to religious fundies if what they do is wrong. They'll tuck a bomb into their undies. It's why they don't wear thongs. The quarterback gets on his knees not to give the head coach oral. He thanks the Lord for victory. He thinks Jesus did the scoring. And the homophobes really phobe those homos. The hateful banners sag. They think that Christ agrees with them, but the truth is God hates flags. The followers of Westboro Church wave signs at soldiers dead. It's their belief God killed them all because the gays can wed. But I highly doubt God gives a crap, however loud they shout and nag. You could wave your banners all day long. The fact is, God hates flags. This one is called Long Poems. Long Poems. Oh, how they drag on. <laughs> um... This one is called Break Bread, 
part two. Now, Break Bread part one is in Barzilla. This is newer. It's a continuation of Break Bread part two. Uh, I believe it stands on its own, so you can appreciate it without having read Break Bread part one. But if you want to read Break Bread part one, it's in Barzilla, which is for sale over here. Uh, it's called Break Bread Part 2, The Fresh Parmesan Grating Incident. I am so pleased you agreed to have dinner with me. You are a flower sitting across a table on the patio of a Harborview restaurant on a mildly chilly evening. The waitress arrives with our salads and offers some fresh grated Parmesan cheese. You say yes, and the waitress begins grinding the Parmesan over your salad. And grinding, and grinding, and grinding, and looking at you now and wondering if you will ever relieve her of this terrible Parmesan grinding grind. Unbeknownst to all three of us, on the other side of the universe, something important was happening. Several billion particles of gas and plasma were coming together to form a molecular cloud. Then, the molecular cloud collapsed and begat a gravitational nebula. The nebula begat a protostar. The protostar begat a star. The star begat a red giant, which begat a planetary nebula, which begat a white dwarf, then died and begat a black dwarf. And still the waitress is grinding, the Parmesan grinding. Hola, oh, <laughs> you knew that was coming, right? I saw you, you just knew it all the way. Okay. She begins to fatigue, the contempt flaring in her eyes. There is so much Parmesan on the top of your salad, it appears to have been left out during a blizzard. The waitress abruptly stops and storms away without a word, far too wasted to even try to grind some cheese for me. Wow, I say, when the waitress is out of earshot. I had no idea what a fucking asshole you were. Thanks. Thank you. This one is called Big Love. Big Love. <laughs> you don't even know what it's about. <laughs> Big Love. Sometimes I want to put my arms around the world and hug it. But I can't, because the Great Barrier Reef would shred my armpits. All right. Thank you. This is called, this is called The Pain of You Part Duh. If you remember Pain of You Part 1, when we last left off, I was fishing locks of hair out of a shower drain. Pretty creepy. I get it. Just wait. I was so devastated when you left me. I took a follicle of your hair from the shower drain and put it in a Petri dish. By the way, I forgot. There's a subtitle to this. It's The Pain of You Part 2, The Clone of You. I was so devastated when you left me. I took a follicle of your hair, put it in the shower drain, and put it in a Petri dish. And began to grow a new you. A you that would love me and need me as deeply and eternally as I, I told you this was getting creepy, as eternally as I did you. I waited and I watched in my lab. 
your DNA, as I watched as your DNA took hold and began to form the beginning of a new you, a clone of you. When, you. when you were stable, I moved you to an incubator and waited for what seemed an eternity until finally I had a new you. The same as the other you in every way, a clone of you. I opened the incubator and let you emerge. But before you could say a word, I called you a bitch and broke up with you. I never call women bitches, just so you know that. I really don't. Except in this poem, this one time, where it, wor where it worked. <laughs> this is called the italics prayer. Oh, dear Father in heaven, please help me to stop overusing italics. Great sentences don't need any help, Lord. Excellent words do not need all caps or bold type or underscore. And wonderful people don't have to go around saying how wonderful they are. Oh, Father, please strike down the over-italicizers and smite the italics themselves for thinking they are better than the other words. As if italicized words are so special that they need to look different than the other words. That italicized words drive fancier cars, have nicer houses, throw better parties, and just are all around superior to all the other words in the neighborhood. Not realizing that if words were special, they would not need style or formatting. That's the problem with people these days. Everybody thinks they need a custom font. All right, um, before I rudely cut Ted off during my introduction before, he was going to mention City Beat, a magazine I write for, in which I have a recurring column called Sorted Tales that was once called Sorted Tales of a Bartender and Eat, which was when I was a bartender, I used to write all my bar stories, but then I stopped being a bartender, and then it just became Sorted Tales, and now it's just about kind of like uh, the way a bartender looks at life. So it can be about anything. And um, do I have time for one read of a column and then call it quits? Never mind. Um, <laughs> so this is a column I wrote a, a few, um, well, about six months ago. Um, I'll close with a column and then uh, we'll bring on um, Ted. Ted. No, no, who's after you, Ted? It's uh, Liz Huerta. We'll bring on Liz Huerta, okay? This is called um, Making an Appointment for My Midlife Crisisoscopy. If there is a signature event in a man's existence that is sure to trigger a midlife crisis, more than his first gray hair, more than when they start playing the punk bands of his youth on the oldie station, more than the first time he sits on a toilet and feels the bottom of his scrotum sinking into the cold, still water, well, it's got to be the colonoscopy. I'm sorry about what I'm about to do to you people, by the way. I really, really do apologize. The American Cancer Society advises anyone over 50 to make an appointment to, you know, have a camera shoved up your ass via a five-foot tube so that a team of physicians can thoroughly examine that private secret place where everything you ever ate in your life had crawled up to die. However, for all its potential for misery, it is the day before the colonoscopy that is the most difficult. For one reason, you are only permitted to eat chicken broth for 24 hours, which can hardly be defined as eating, and thanks to a special concoction 
called movie prep. It will spray out of your sphincter no more than 90 seconds after you consume it. What is movie prep, you ask? Well, it ain't a combination kit of popcorn, candy, and a comedy DV, DVD to distract you from your upcoming date with Satan's anal plunger. No, it is a colon cleanser. And the move in movie prep refers to certain, you know, movements. And I don't mean the kind you might hear in a Beethoven sonata. So off I went to the local Rite Aid to get a box of movie prep and a few other items from my, on my colonoscopy to-do list. I gathered everything into a carrying basket and got into line. When it was my turn, I approached Mrs. Blabbermouth on register two, who started rigging my items. What is this, she asked, picking up the shoebox-sized package of colon douche. Uh, it, it's just something from the pharmacy. It's covered by insurance, nothing to ring up. Now, you would think that my having mentioned pharmacy would have been her cue to stop prying, but she persisted with a psychological colonoscopy of her own, prodding and digging and shoving her five-inch proboscis deeper into the bowels of my business. Is it something to do with movies, she asked, as nearby customers leaned forward and cupped their ears. What I wanted to do was scream, it's a fucking ass cleanser lady, ass cleanser lady, okay? Would you like to try some? Once home, I mixed the various powders into a gallon of water and stuck it in the fridge. They recommend you chill it because you have to drink the stuff and it tastes like Gatorade had a flavor named dying old lady sweat. And if the taste isn't bad enough, there is the persistent, frequent, I really do apologize for this, I really do. <laughs> I didn't do it that time. I looked at Ron, because I know Ron's sensitive. And uh, <laughs> I apologize to both of you. And if the taste isn't bad enough, there is the persistent. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not exaggerating here. Those of you in the audience who have had this know I'm telling the straight-up truth. And if the taste isn't bad enough, there is the persistent, frequent diarrhea. I tell you, friends, you have never pissed out your ass the way you will piss out your ass after a dose of movie prep. I have been on several whiskey and cocaine weekends in Vegas, eating nothing but cheese whiz and coffee grinds that produced a stool less liquid than this. The following morning... <laughs> the following morning, I went in for my anal probe. A nurse brought me into the procedure room, gave me a gown, and had me lie down on the bed. I waited for a few minutes until a doctor, an older man of about 60, walked in, followed by his team of three young assistants, one male and two female. I was given a sedative, which they said would knock me out, but I woke up about five minutes into the procedure. That's a true story. I was lying on my side, facing the monitor, while the doctor shoved in the tube. And I do mean shoved. It wasn't painful thanks to the sedative, but my whole lower body lurched forward every time he pushed. I could see him in the peripheral line of vision and could tell he was putting his entire body into it, like a DEA officer using a battering ram to break into a crack house. Oh, I just thought a colonoscopy cop. I just thought of that. Huh? <laughs> Note to self. Being that everyone was behind me and didn't know I was awake, I was able to listen as they watched the monitor and excitedly comment on what was happening in my ass. Like my colonoscopy was a football game and today was Super Bowl Sunday. 
I was quite surprised to learn, though, that I have an impressively clean and healthy colon. Part of my fear of this whole procedure was worrying what they were going to find. I mean, we're talking about a guy whose diet consisted of quasi-diseased slaughterhouse beef, hormonally infused fowl mutations, the mite-infested flesh of corporate farm swine, and pretty much everything else that's made out of cancer. Indeed, I abused my, my digestive tract so horribly, I was expecting my intestines to resemble the caverns of Mount Doom, dark and foreboding with giant venom-drooling spiders lurking at every turn and a hissing golem hiding behind sickly brown stalagmites. But the doctors all seemed impressed by my innards, causing me to bream with pride and superiority. Cleaner than the colon of a vegan prom queen, I said to no one in particular. He's awake, said one of the assistants. Are you in any pain, asked the doctor. Are you comfortable? As comfortable as one could be with a film crew rooting around my intestines, I said. It's not clear if I got a laugh out of that, nor is it even clear that I said it out loud, being in somewhat of a dream state. I remember thinking just before I fell asleep again that if you're going to go through a midlife crisis, it's always best to have the colon of a prom queen when you do. Ain't that right, my precious? Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Poon Press, Ted Washington. Sorry about that. I love you guys. <laughs>